what I believe to be one of the most heart-wrenching statements in the entire narrative surrounding the cross are words we just read a few moments ago. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Let those words sink in just for a moment. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. I am certain that it was a joy, for the most part, to raise Jesus. But there was still difficulty that Mary had throughout all of this ordeal, not just at the cross, but before the cross. You might even recall that when Mary found out that she was going to be with child, that she was the one chosen to carry the Messiah, Luke chapter 1 and verse 29 tells us that she was troubled at the words that she heard, troubled at this saying that the angel had given her. To say she was overwhelmed would be a great understatement. She didn't lose her faith, obviously, but it had to be completely confusing, overwhelming, even frightening. And so the word chosen in most of our translations is troubled. And that wasn't the only time. You remember that as a young boy, Joseph had to carry Jesus and Mary to a foreign nation. They had to go to Egypt simply because of the danger that was, that was there. And after a little time had passed, it seemed that things might be safe enough. They came back, not to their home city, but they had to go to Nazareth. So the prophecy would be fulfilled that the one to come would be called a Nazarene. And Mary had to deal with all of that. We also see her in little snippets, if you please, during the time when Jesus was involved in his earthly ministry. She she shows up on the scene a couple of times or so. And and while there's not ever any negative thing about her said, you, you know that at times she had to hear or see some of the things that were being said about Christ, some of them good, but not all of them good. And even if she didn't hear them in the moment, you know she heard some of the things that were being said and even some of the things that were being plotted about him at various times during his ministry. And now, with this wonderful son, just 33 years of age or or thereabouts, she's not just mourning the loss of a child, knowing that's coming in mere minutes or hours or maybe days, but she's at the foot of the cross watching her son go through unimaginable torture. And with that scene in our minds, Jesus speaks for the third time from the cross, really two statements, but almost always lumped in together because it seems as if they are involved very near to one another, possibly quite literally back to back. When he looks at some standing around the cross, at the foot of the cross, and he says to Mary, woman, behold your son, and then to John, who is also at the foot of the cross, behold your mother. I have a book in my office, a little paperback book, where a man tries to sum up each of the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross in, in just three or four words. This is a word of this. This is a word of that. And I think of all of them that this statement or these statements, he sums up the best as he calls these the words of affection. If there, there's anything that summarizes what Jesus said when he took care of Mary in this moment, they are words of affection. And they speak a great deal to us even now. They carry a great deal of humanity and show us the heart of Jesus for his family, specifically for Mary, his mother. But in these two very short statements that we're looking at tonight, 
There are several things that we can learn, but I want us to take away just three. And I want us to see three things that Jesus, that are summarized in this little short text in John chapter 19 that are still very important to us. Number one, notice with me that a prophecy was fulfilled. Even in these words, a prophecy was fulfilled. None of the accounts of the gospel, of course, contradict each other. The Bible never contradicts itself anywhere. But you know as well as I do that each of the four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a slightly different perspective into the life of Christ. They were written originally for different types of audiences. And now we have the benefit of having all four of them and seeing this full picture of Christ, this full biography, if you want to think of it that way, presented to us through the four accounts of the gospel. And for some reason, and we're not told why, Luke spends much more time than any of the other three writers with the early life of Christ. It's still not much, but it's far more than any other of the three accounts of the gospel. And part of that glimpse, if you'll turn back in the book of Luke, all the way back to Luke chapter 2, we are given a glimpse into the early years of Jesus. And starting in verse 22 of Luke chapter 2, Jesus is presented at the temple according to Old Testament Jewish custom. And in the verses that follow, we're introduced to two great individuals, Simeon and Anna. It's Simeon we want to focus on. Because Simeon has one of the most impressive introductions to us of anyone found in Scripture. We're told about him in Luke 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then we're told that Simeon had been given a great privilege. He'd been given the privilege of knowing that he would not die until he had seen the one that's called here the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one. In other words, he would not die until he had visibly seen the Messiah. All of these prophecies for all of these hundreds of years... He had been told he was going to get to see in some form, some fashion, that person. Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, that day arrived when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, according to that custom of the Old Testament. And Simeon had some wonderful things to say about Jesus. But if you're still in Luke chapter 2, it's interesting to me that verse 34 tells us that Simeon blessed, notice the plural word, blessed them. But then he said some words specifically to Mary. That's interesting for a lot of reasons. But it's possible that what Simeon was getting ready to tell here by the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit was upon him, the text already told us that. It is possible that Simeon is also subtly prophesying that Joseph would not be around for a long time. Because he blesses them, but then he turns specifically to Mary and says these words in verses 34 and 35. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, if we were to try to unpack everything Simeon said... In that two-verse prophecy, it would be a lesson unto itself. But it's the little parenthetical statement found right in the middle of it that that is so important for our thoughts tonight. They they are heart-wrenching words. And remember, he is speaking to Mary. The text had told us that. And he says, a sword 
will pierce through your own soul also. Notice he did not say a sword will pierce through your body. He is not prophesying or predicting some sort of horrific death or the manner by which Mary would die at some point in her life. But specifically, he says, a sword will pierce through your soul also. And now, as the world is casting Jesus aside, standing at the cross was his mother. Some of the hardest words for me to sing are words in a song we sing quite often, the old hymn, Ten Thousand Angels. And they're very simple words. For some reason, they hit me right in the heart. When we sing those very simple words, when they nailed him to the cross, his mother stood nearby. Those words just hit me right in the heart when we sing them because they're so close to what the text of the Bible says, but also because they draw such a powerful picture of the emotion of the moment. And can't you just feel her agony as that sword of suffering that had been prophesied all those years earlier by Simeon now pierces through her soul, watching her son suffer, but also watching and hearing all these insults being thrown at him, railed at him, continually rained down upon him for all of these hours on the cross. And also keep in mind that sometimes what we may picture when we think of the cross may have been skewed over time. Because sometimes in artwork and in movies and other things, Jesus is hanging on a cross way, way, way up in the sky somewhere. And some of, the, some of those pictures that we get put in our mind because of those, those images make the cross seem almost, almost ridiculously tall. It is almost unheard of to find a Roman cross when archaeologists find these things where the entire structure, and remember part of it would have been underground because you have to dig a hole the entire structure. It's almost impossible to find one that is larger than 10 feet. And here, part of it is underground. Most of the time when someone was crucified, their feet were inches off the ground, maybe a foot off the ground. And so you can picture Mary quite literally reaching out and holding the feet of Jesus or the legs of Jesus. Depending on her height and the height of the cross, you can actually picture Mary possibly even brushing his cheek as she reached up. Jesus probably was not miles off the ground. He probably was inches off the ground. And there stood his mother. And notice the word, there stood his mother. Probably face to chest or face to stomach with her son as he was inches or a foot or so off the ground. You think a a sore wasn't piercing through her soul? In that moment. It was utter agony for her. To watch this. An anonymous poet in the middle ages. Tried to capture the emotion. In a few lines. He wrote these words. Near the cross. Her vigil keeping. Stood the mother. Worn with weeping. Where he hung. The dying Lord. Through her soul. In anguish groaning. Bowed in sorrow. Sighing. Moaning. Past the sharp and piercing sword. Oh, the weight of her affliction, hers who won God's benediction, hers who bore God's holy one. Oh, that speechless, ceaseless yearning. Oh, those dim eyes never turning from her wondrous suffering son. And even that, even that had been prophesied. By this man we know so little about except this great introduction. And in a few words he says to Mary that a sword would pierce through her soul. 
but it reminds us of the power of prophecy. That from the largest stories in Scripture to the tiniest details, every time God made a prophecy through a human being, they came true. Every time. And it reminds us of the, of the power of God and the prophecy of God. There was a prophecy fulfilled in these words. Number two in these words, you also see a command that was followed. Jesus was the only person to live out the Old Testament law perfectly. And that was true in part because Jesus understood not just the laws themselves that so many of the Jews could quote, but he understood the heart that was behind the laws. He understood the justice and the mercy and all those things that lay behind them. In fact, when Jesus gave his famous Sermon on the Mount, he told those around him, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus is the only person to completely fulfill all of those hundreds of commands and the the attitude and heart behind them found in the Old Testament. But part of that is seen in these awful moments on the cross. Because one of those commands given under the Old Testament law, that by the way has also been brought to us in the New Testament in, in more than one place, was honor your father and your mother. And one of the keys to understanding that Old Testament law is that there was no age limit put on it. God did not tell the Israelites, honor your father and your mother until you're 12. Or or, honor your father and mother until you learn the family business. Or honor your father and mother until you're 18. Or or, or, we, we could put anything we wanted to there, but it's just not there. The command simply was honor your father and your mother. What God was really striving to do was simply instill within the Israelites an understanding of respect for authority, but also a respect for the continuity of a family. And so even when children were grown, they were to show honor to their parents. Jesus battled some of the religious leaders of his day who could quote that command all day long, but who were simply trying to go around it, not follow it. You may remember when Jesus talked about those who would take money and things that were supposed to be used to care for parents, especially aging parents, And they would pronounce it Corbin. They would say, oh, this money is dedicated to God. And they could use it however they wanted to because they had said it was dedicated to God. And and God wanted them to be happy and God wanted them to do whatever they want to do. And Jesus trying to get them to see that taking care of your parents is part of dedicating your life to God. And being faithful unto that command. But now as the eldest son, Jesus realizes that none of his brothers, really half brothers, are present. Or even if they were... They didn't really believe in him. And so they would not be faithful to what God was doing through Christ, especially in these moments. And so Jesus utters the words, behold, your son and behold, your mother. But think for a moment about the one to whom Jesus said this, not not Mary, but John. John never calls himself by name in the account of the gospel that, that he wrote that bears his name. Instead, John calls himself the disciple whom he, that is Jesus, loved. You see that in verse 26. It seems as if John, when he wrote his account of the gospel, was just overwhelmed by what had really happened. Some scholars suggest that the gospel according to John was written possibly as much as 60 years after the events occurred. For sure, it was written several decades after the life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and all those things had ended. And John is looking back over 
especially for that day and time, a long life and remembering how wonderful these things were. And it seems as though that he could not bring himself to write John, his own name, in the account. And instead, if you want to think of it this way, in many ways, John was was putting in first century language what our children 2,000 years later still sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. And so he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. The word disciple simply means a learner, a follower, an imitator, a student. John certainly wasn't perfect at this point in his life. But he was there and he was doing what he could to bring comfort to Mary, to find his own comfort and to be near Jesus in these hours. Jesus knew that John would take care, true care of his mother. And so Jesus honored his mother by making sure that she was placed in the care of this one whom he loved. As the eldest son in a family where seemingly the father is deceased, Jesus had the right under Jewish tradition to see to the proper care of his mother in case he died. And obviously that was getting ready to happen. It was honoring to her to make sure that that was done. But here again, think for a moment about the heart of Jesus. This is the third time Jesus has spoken from the cross. We looked at one last Sunday night, one this morning, and then obviously this one tonight. But all three of the statements thus far have been others-centered. Jesus was suffering unthinkable pain, but still was thinking about the Old Testament law, still thinking about following the commands of God, and still thinking about others. Folks, that should remind us by way of application of this simple fact. Whatever circumstances we are in, whatever is going on in our life, We have no right to disobey the commands of God. We always need to follow the command of God. While Jesus was going through complete agony, and Mary had to be going through agony herself, Jesus thought of her. And while she was in absolute torture by what was going on, Jesus probably provided for her at least a tiny bit of relief by simply taking care of her and making her see, I'm still thinking of you while I'm here. That's what following God's laws do for us. It provides relief. Even in our darkest hours, there was a command that was followed. And number three, I want us to see an example that we can follow. I love how verse 27 ends. After Jesus had said these statements, putting Mary in the care of John, the text simply says, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. There's almost no way you and I could write that any more simply than it's stated already. John simply did what Jesus said. But remember that all the disciples had fled. Jesus had said that would happen, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, he had said to all the disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. Mark tells us they all forsook him and fled. But the disciple whom Jesus loved came back. He returned. His love for Jesus brought him also to the very base of that cross, standing beside Mary and the other women and providing comfort when he probably needed comfort himself. In fact, he did need comfort himself. But Jesus by these words, re-emphasized a point that he had stated earlier in his ministry. 
when Mary and the brothers or half-brothers and sisters or half-sisters, however you want to think of it, of Jesus were nearby, you remember that Jesus said that the ones who obeyed and listened, those are the ones who are really my mother and brothers and sisters. He wasn't trying to say, this is not really my family. He's trying to get people to see there's something even more important than family. And it's obeying Christ, obeying God. And now, by giving Mary into the protection or the care of John, Jesus is basically saying, John is part of the family. Because he's obeying. He's here. He's proving that teaching made months or a couple of years earlier to be true. But I think the example for us to follow here is something that is said and something that's not said. All the text says is, from that hour, John took his mother into his home. It records no hesitation. It records no protest whatsoever. Jesus made these very simple statements. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And the text simply tells us that John did those things from that hour, likely meaning from the hour Jesus died. By way of application, I need to ask myself a simple question. Am I willing to obey Christ? Or do I try to figure out ways to wiggle my way out of it? Do do I look for loopholes? Do I look for ways that I, I can put off following Christ? Because maybe it's just not easy in the moment. Folks, he was taking someone into his home to take care of. This was not the easiest command to follow if you stop and think about it. This was not just something that was, you know, for the next 20 minutes, go give someone a meal. No, from that hour, she came into his home. He immediately, if you want to think of it this way, just dropped everything and said, I'm going to take care of the mother of Jesus. For how long? We don't know. He might have been thinking for the rest of his life, or at least the rest of hers. But with no pushback whatsoever, from that moment, from that hour, he took her into his home. Sometimes there are commands in the Bible that are not easy to follow. I know the Bible tells us that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome, but sometimes they're easier to follow than others. And sometimes it's easier for me to figure out a way sort of around it, or to kind of half do it, or to put off really following the command. The example to follow here is John's in saying, Whatever Jesus asked me to do in the moment, that's exactly what I'm going to do without putting it off even for a moment. That's an example to follow. And we could we could take these words because they so clearly deal with family issues. We can make this a lesson about family. And that would certainly be one application. In fact, I've read a lot of things that kind of do that. And that's a, we, we may come back to this statement at some point and make a nice lesson about family. But if we take the focus... Of any of these statements that Jesus made from the cross, if we take the focus away from the one who said them, we've missed the point. We've missed the main point of all of these sayings of Jesus on the cross. Jesus, who is our example in all things, was thinking of others. And that's where I want to end tonight. We have already, one, seen him praying for the forgiveness of those who were enjoying this moment and getting what they wanted. We have already seen him, too, giving amazing forgiveness, the gift of paradise we talked about this morning, to the thief who desired something of Christ. And now, three, we've seen Jesus thinking of his mother and making sure she is taken care of now that her eldest son is about to die. What's, what's my point? 
If we ever forget that Jesus was thinking of others on the cross, we've missed the whole point of what happened there. And he wasn't just thinking of the ones who were quite literally standing there. He was thinking of you, and he was thinking of me. He had every right in that same song I referenced earlier to call 10,000 angels and end the whole thing. But he died alone for you and me. I learned that from some very simple words. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Don't you want your life to be one that follows someone like that? That in the darkest hours of human history was thinking of you and giving his life not just for you, but in your place. Don't you want to give your life to someone like that? You can, if you'll do what he has said, to believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how you become a Christian, a Christ one. And that's what we desire for you tonight. If you will come as we stand and sing to encourage you.